You're listening to a special Triple R podcast of Uncommon Sense with Amy Mullins. This interview is with the National Gallery of Australia's assistant curator, Lara Nichols, and artist Elizabeth Gower. They chatted with me about the NGA exhibition now on display at the Geelong Gallery, Abstraction, Celebrating Australian Women Abstract Artists. And you are listening to Triple R with Amy. The show is Uncommon Sense and as promised, we are chatting now about um, the immense contribution of Australian women abstract artists in particular, but I mean, women um, are fantastic in Australia in terms of the contribution to the arts and artists. Um, So I'm very pleased to have uh, with me in the studio, uh, Elizabeth Gower, who is an artist herself, um, practicing at the moment in and and does a lot of um, abstract art. Thanks for joining us, Elizabeth. Hi, thanks, Amy. And uh, also we have with us on the line uh, from Canberra is Lara Nichols, who's the curator of this exhibition. Um, And she and her colleagues have put it together from the collection of the National Gallery in Canberra, um, which has an immense uh, collection of contemporary art and in particular um, art by women. Um, Thanks so much for joining us, Lara. Thank you, Amy. Lovely to be here. So um, we, or I went to, um, and I know, I think Elizabeth was there too. Were you at the opening? Yes. And um, it was a a pretty special night and we had a lot of um, the artists who are currently um, still practising at the exhibition. Um, That was pretty special. Uh, Was it really special for you, Elizabeth, in terms of seeing yourself within, um, you know, an oeuvre of other great um, Australian women abstract artists? Well, yes, there was a lot of artists there who I had looked at um, when I was a younger artist, but in particular, Leslie Dumbro, Janet Dawson was there um, and some other women who I actually had never met, but I'd always admired their work, so it was great to actually meet them. Yeah. It's surprising the art world being so small, but you actually don't always (laughs) meet people. Even in Australia. Yes, even in Australia. And um, and just in terms of your practice, um, Elizabeth, how you know we we see in the exhibition um, there's there's the first room which is really the lead into abstraction and it's looking at um, cubism and the avant garde um, and that kind of early twentieth century. Um, Experiments which were heavily influenced in by European uh, artists and a lot of Australian women going to Europe. Um, the way, and we see then abstraction developed, and uh, and I'll go through that with Lara in just a moment. But in terms of your, um, you know, place in this exhibition, which is you know in the contemporary space of someone who is currently practicing art and and tending towards abstraction, um. Have you seen yourself um, as influenced by a lot of these uh, women across time? And obviously there'd be other male artists who you'd be influenced by too and, and there'd be some kind of dialogue, I'd, I'd guess. But how do you, how do you see yourself um, within this broader practice of abstraction and the, the movement in Australia and, and these artists that have been um, highlighted in the show? Definitely I was influenced by cubism and modernism. Uh, Margaret Preston, Grace Crowley... Um, Deborah Dawes, Janet Dawson, I mean, they're all sort of heroes of mine. I think the attraction to uh, cubism and modernism of the early 20th century was that sense of exploring and breaking down um, shapes, elements, life, thoughts, conceptual ideas, um, intellectual kind of practice. And I think the attraction to looking at those um, mid to early 20th century works was partly that. It's not just about looking or painting what you're seeing it's about painting what you're thinking 
Yeah, absolutely. It is like a quite a an intellectual um, movement. It's very cognitive in the sense that we see mathematics is a huge yep. um, part in this, and uh, and that these women were really intellects in a stylistic sense and taking um, cues and interacting with others who were leading the intellectual movements in Europe. So, um, I'll I'll go to Lara now in terms of the history of um, Cubism in particular and um, that. Uh, quite a few of these women in the first room um, from the you know uh, early 20th century were over in Europe, which is quite an interesting thing in itself um, that they they took the trip over and were living there um, and working with some of the best um, artists and kind of have in a in a two way dialogue about cubism and particularly Albert Glaze. Um, Lara, could you share with us some of uh, a couple of those artists? I, I'm thinking in particular. I think it's Grace Crowley and and Dangar who were um, in Europe. But how did how did this interplay happen, this kind of cross-cultural Australian-European exchange over in France in particular? So um, many of the artists in Australia um, had a long tradition of wanting to travel back to Europe, and this happened in the 19th century as much as in the 20th century. But in the 20th century, you see women going on their own, which is probably you know the first time that's really happening um, in a, a regular sort of fashion. So what we found was that um, a, a coterie of women, particularly Sydney-based women such as um, Anne Dangar, Grace Crowley and Dorrit Black, um, all went over to Europe um, and particular to, particularly to France and to London um, and became immersed in the, in the world the art world there. They sought out the most um, uh, advanced avant-garde teachers. So, for example, the three of them went to study with André Lote, who was a Cubist artist. Um, this was in the 1920s. And they went to his summer school in Mermond, which is in the south of France. And they started learning and taking on board all of his... Um, cubist ideas and you know to put it in perspective this was a very revolutionary art practice you know 15 years earlier we were still painting realistic landscapes and realistic representational imagery but this all sort of exploded in that first decade of the 20th century so these women were really there in paris um Margaret Preston, for example, was there very early on. She even went before the turn of the century, so she was absorbing these modernist ideas. And then we see Grace Crowley, Dorrit Black and Anne Dangar going over in the mid-20s. So they're absorbing this material and they're, they're real seekers. They're looking for um, this new way of painting and Dorrit Black even you know, ex explains that herself when she you know, makes con con um, comments about trying to find this new path and that the old way of um, painting a realistic tradition is old hat and past that's used by date and they were seeking this new path which they, they found. And so working closely with artists like Andre Loge, um, they also came into contact with other Cubists such as Albert Glaze. Now he's really important because he actually begins to paint in this purely abstracted form, whereas previously artists were painting in a way where they were um, turning the landscape into geometrical shapes and cubes, um, which you know Cezanne had started to do earlier. But Albert Glaze was really reaching towards a pure abstraction. And he wrote the first book on cubism, so it's called um, On Cubism, and he wrote it with this other fellow, um, John Metzinger. So they, were, um, they sought him out and went to study with him in Paris, and then also um, down at his artist colony, which he set up in Sablon on the Rhone, um, Rhone River. And so that was a real turning point for them. 
But I think the interesting thing about these women is they then came back to Australia, usually for family obligations. Um, in the case of Dorrit Black, um, she came she came back and set up the Modern Art Centre. And in the cra- case of Grace Crowley, she set up the Crowley Fazell School, which she set up with a, a male artist, Ra Fazell. And they taught Sydney siders and Sydney artists um, the tenets of cubism and abstraction. So they brought brought all those teachings back with them and then um, disseminated them amongst this um, fairly conservative um, art world in Sydney. It is fascinating because, um, you know, it, it's that they, the level of independence um, that these women had, they were not only independent in that sense of travelling, but they were also pioneers. Um, and I know that, uh, and you mentioned in your floor talk um I think it was, yeah, just the day after the exhibition that a lot of these women were more avant-garde than their male counterparts. Um, Could you kind of tease out the ways in which um, these women were uh, bringing out the tenets of abstraction and developing it further themselves in an Australian context? Yeah, so when they came back to Australia, they would exhibit a range of subjects so they would have exhibitions which had their French subjects but then they also started to show um, their interpretation of the Australian environment through the the, um, prism of cubism so for example we see um, many of these women artists wanting to capture um, things like the building of the Sydney Harbour Bridge so new um, buildings and modernization of the cities became a really big topic so for example the um, station in Sydney which was the first tube station which name is now escaping me but I'll remember it became a really um, fascinating um, fascinating subject for a lot of artists so um, this also parallels the interest in London with um, new um, the, the tube system in London as well so artists would create very modernist images of say a train moving really quickly or people going down an escalator into the tube stations and then in Sydney they did the same thing so they were looking at modernization in the urban environment which was a huge move away from those sort of pastoral landscapes that we were so used to in the federation era and in 19th century um, artwork as well so they chose new subjects and they chose to try and find things which were almost intangible like people moving in on an escalator I mean how do you actually capture that sort of um, image, you know, it's, it's like what Duchamp tried to do when he painted the nude descending a staircase. How do you actually paint movement in a, in a flat, two-dimensional image? It's mm. quite difficult. So I think that was one of their biggest contributions was just documenting and painting modern life, really. And then we get to a point where particularly... Um, in the exhibition, you see a painting by Grace Crowley, which is uh, called Abstract Painting from 1947, um, where mm. you really can't actually see anything that's um, depicted necessarily as a, a, a figure or a, a realistic portrayal of life. It really is completely abstracted into colour, shapes and lines. Um to you and and your um, when you're putting this show together and you're looking at abstraction and the concept and style or movement of abstraction, what um, you know? How do you define something that is so abstract? <laughs> to put it in a better way. Well, I mean that's the term abstraction, isn't it? It's like this distillation of, of, of it's like the most intense summary of parts. But what ends up happening is that painting in the early 20th century no longer became about 
what you're depicting. It became about painting itself. And, you know, Matisse was um, very much, um, in the early decade of the 20th century, was very much about this as well. Um, but suddenly, actually, it's about painting. And with Grace Crowley, her um, shapes and colour and line, um, she doesn't, she's not interested in representing the world. It's like we've moved beyond that. We don't need to try and do that anymore. And she was deeply interested in mathematics. And so all of those late later abstractions are based on mathematical formula and there's been quite a lot of documentation about that so she used this methodology she'd learned in paris called the golden mean um or uh, what they call in french is um le section d'or which is the, the golden section and there was even a group of artists who called them that and it was this mathematical um, foundation behind the images that they created and the relationship of each um, shape or colour or form to the other in, within the work. And there's a great deal of um, dynamism within these um, paintings because of the colour and the line and um, and as you have said, uh, it's about movement as well uh, within the picture and um, certainly we see that in some of the circular um, forms that are, that are in the pieces. Mm. Um, I'll go to uh, Elizabeth in terms of your practice and and abstraction. Um, Like how, what is the, I guess, the mode of abstraction and and a way of expressing something? What um, brought you to the use of abstraction in varying degrees? Because um, clearly, you know, some, some paintings might be more abstract than others, but what exactly brought you to it? I think it was an experimentation with materials first that then led to an experimentation of form and colour and shape because I'm using sort of unusual um, early days in the materials um, side. The painting in this show is obviously a painting, um, which I I don't usually paint for that uh, much of my practice. Um, So it started off with a, a sense of freedom, experimentation, independence, I mean, uh, that sense of that, w- that women felt at the beginning of the 20th century or mid-20th century, that sense of um, camaraderie, freedom, travel, independence. Women had got the vote, the city was changing, the First World War was over. There was this sense of incredible optimism. I came into my practice in the 70s where there was the women's art movement, there was a sense of camaraderie, optimism, independence, travel. It's kind of almost like a, another wave of that um, push by women artists. And so a lot of it was through um, just sheer freedom of doing what I want to do. And what I ended up wanting to do was to experiment with mark making and textures and colour and shifts and balance and proportion, Mm. which is similar to what, um, you know, these artists were doing in the 20s and 30s. So, in a, in a way, you know, you're highlighting that it's tied to a greater um, context of liberation and feminism in, in some regards. In a way. Yeah, in a way, yes. And and how um, have you seen that progress across your um, your career as an artist? Do you see um, the use of abstraction now as still a form of really free expression and independence and and is this, are there still barriers that um, women face as Australian artists in this context? Well, there's always barriers. Um, and so there's always something that you're sort of rubbing up against. Um, I think in terms of, I wouldn't say that there's a sort of push with abstraction one way or the other. I think it's just another form of um, working out what it is you want to say. Um, I think 
I've forgotten the question actually. <laughs> what were you saying? Um, so in terms of your your career and how it's progressed, you were saying yeah, there in the 70s it was a form of free expression um, as well as... For me. I mean, yeah. other artists, there are a lot of artists who are doing um, socio-political work, figurative work, um, realistic work. I mean... That's sort of for me. It mm. was, but you've maintained a certain level of abstraction in yeah. s- in some of the things that you sought to represent. I mean, I was also referencing a lot of um, the decorative arts, which is also a sort of an area where women have been quite prolific. And so there's a reference back to that as well, that geometry and structures and sort of abstraction through, um, you know, mark making and embroideries and sewing. I mean, they are quite complex. Um, piecing together of skills and so in a way I'm referencing that as well by piecing together these fragments and joining things together and salvaging it's all kind of related to that as well Mm. Um, but added to that what um, also happened I think was this sense that you could actually express your point of view a female point of view which those women in the show were doing then and what women are doing now you can respond to the personal the um the fleeting the moment the thought uh the emotion the expression and all that can is now part of what artists can do i mean prior to that you know it was a bit more restrictive it had to be representational um depicting portraits of important people Um, And so there was that sense of um, when you take that away, you suddenly have a lot more experimentation. Mm, And the patron system as well. Yes, I mean, a lot of these artists are completely independent. They're not just Mm. independently travelling, they're independent of the academy and independent of that whole structure where your sense of um, prestige is condoned by the academy. Um, A lot of the 20th century was the artists were just doing it not even for financial gain, not for acceptance. And so it is a completely different shift. Mm. And let's just quickly touch on your piece in the show. Um, I think it's called Then and Now. Yep. Yeah. And um, this, I, I loved it because it's so uh, striking um, and and it really, it still has elements of representation in it, um, but it's still abstracted out to its essential forms, I guess, and it also forms a great, interesting, intricate pattern. Um, could you uh, perhaps explain what um, brought you to to create that painting in particular and um, why you chose that form of representation? Well, it comes from collecting material. I was collecting imagery um, and breaking down that imagery, cutting it up, reassembling it. And it was like, how much can I break it down and still have it vaguely representational? You know, how much can you lose and still gain? And so that particular painting, which is made up of a sort of collection of contemporary archetypal objects, shoes, boats, planes, babies, bottles, toys, um, images from film posters, um, and it's quite minimal in that there's only a few lines that make each image. So you can come at it and read it purely as a... um, as a, a floating ethereal line painting or you can start to piece together and start to search out imagery which in turn helps you search out meaning of these objects and imagery. So it's a sort of play on um, then and now as in past and present, um, past and future um, and then and now, you know, it's, it's both uh, personal imagery of mine from then but it's also still relevant 
to my sort of personal imagery now. Mm, and I think um, uh, Lara mentioned in her floor talk that it was painted when you were living in Tasmania. Yep. And you uh, had young children at the time and you saw a lot of advertising around, which, you know, you mentioned is those kind of archetypal representations of different things. Um, it it does, does your art... Um, Obviously, that was somewhat personal in your experience at the time and the things you were seeing. Um, how do you view your own practice? Um, is it an individual expression? Is it um, a, a working out of concepts and ideas? Um, what, how would you frame your own practice? It's kind of all of it. Um, it's, it's, not, it's never just one thing. It's never just personal. It's never just... Um, not personal, you know. It, it's all of it. It's it's responding to the world around me, the both materially and visually, uh, conceptually. It's it's really all of it, and it kind of evolves depending on what's happening in my life, our life, um, the the collective life. It sort of moves through different um, ways of trying to sort of grapple with that, trying to find meaning in it, trying to understand it. And sometimes in, um, you know, making a geometric pattern out of food packaging and junk mail is, is kind of my way of trying to reorder some kind of thing that is quite cluttered and quite demanding, um, you know, visually and conceptually, it's quite a demanding world we live in. And so by trying to sort of cut that up and dissect it again, it's a way of kind of controlling it or calming it down. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely get, get that impression when I looked at it and that's why it was so um, clever and also made you really focus on the individual pieces and try and see it within the broader picture but also then the relationship between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll bring uh, Lara in now to talk about that second room and this, I guess the um, the later modern years of the 20th century and then now in the, into the 21st century, um, you mentioned that uh, you broke it up into themes um, because as we know, abstraction isn't just one very broad thing. There are many different forms of abstraction or types and uh, and you talk about minimalism and organic ex- abstraction um, and op art. Could you just share with us some of those um, themes and, and like the, the things that you tease out in that second room through the, the works of these women? Yeah, sure. So the general thesis of the show is that um, abstraction was a you know, revolutionary um, tendency in, from stemming out of avant-garde practices in the early 20th century. And the conventional wisdom is, is that it really was pretty much a 20th century activity. But there is a lot of evidence to suggest that abstraction is um, really just um, beginning to, to blossom and flower and that it's still incredibly relevant in um, visual art practice today. And so I was kind of testing that thesis out by using the National Gallery of Australia's collection. And I found there was so much evidence in our contemporary acquisitions of collecting abstraction and that abstraction was still an incredibly powerful and meaningful idiom in Australian art. So that's sort of the broad thesis, I suppose, of the show. But then to kind of pare it down, I decided to um, look at it in six ways. So there's this sort of European modernism and cubism, which is, I guess, the foundation of abstraction in Australia. Then um, we move on to abstract expressionism, which was sort of the... the um, 
the revolutionary move away from that geometric abstraction of the early decades of the 20th century. So when, you know, the master, of course, being Jackson Pollock, but of course he's not the only figure in the story and there were plenty of women, both abroad and in Australia, who were practising in that way. Um, and then I move on to organic abstraction, which is this sort of idea of abstracting the forms of the natural world. Um, so, for example, some of the early Inga King works, um, when she first exhibited them in Melbourne in the 50s, um, the reviewer said it was like she, through her sculpting, she had given life to the forms that were already existing in the stone and the wood. So that these works are very... Um, you know, they're very highly linked to the natural world and to finding out the essential elements of the natural world. Um, and then I looked at um, the role of abstraction in more mystical, spiritual um, expressions of the, of the term. So there's quite an, an, you know, a long history of connection to trying to represent the, the mystical and the spiritual, which of course is completely intangible. And so abstraction is like the perfect handmaiden to, to doing that. And it also links in beautifully with indigenous expressions as well, because you know, many of the Indigenous works in the exhibition and, in fact, in Indigenous practice full stop, although they may be, the artist may be representing um, through abstract methods such as dot painting or line work, um, they're representing their country. Their country is so intrinsically tied to ancestral beings and to the spiritual world. So quite often things that occur in the natural world, like a cyclone or a wet season or, or a, a drought or whatever it might be, is distinctly related to um, ancestral um, actions, if you like. So there's this you know, remarkable correlation between abstraction and, and spirituality. And then from there, I looked at contemporary practice. So that was sort of the main themes. And, you know, it can be argued that abstraction is still... Um, you know, one of the most dominant forms of artistic expression today and it's, it still does have relevance. And I think that second room that you mentioned is kind of like a little bit of proof of that argument because they are so strong, the works that have been produced in the last 20 years. Um, they've taken colour to a whole new dimension um, and they've taken... Uh, those artists have used materials to a whole new dimension as well. Um, and so they've sort of um, reimagined abstraction in many respects. Absolutely. It's, a, it's something that's evolving still um, and, and, you know, pushing the boundaries in Australia. And it's great to see that, you know, you're highlighting uh, women's contribution, which has been and continues to be hugely significant, uh, but potentially not recognised as much. Um, just finally, from your perspective, Lara, do you, um, how have you seen uh, women abstract artists and even just women Australian artists um, kind of reflected back in, in history um, in general? And and was this part of, was the, the impetus behind this to really highlight something that we've been missing all along? Yeah, so the, the initially I created the show as a show on abstraction because the NGA has such an amazing collection of abstract art. But very early on in that process, I had this sort of light bulb moment of actually teasing out the women's work within that grander scheme of things. And that ended up being what interested me. And that, to me, suggested that there was a many, many untold stories and that, in fact, perhaps the history needed to be revised somewhat. But the women artists' work in abstraction comes in a sort of a, a broader um, overview, if you like. So um, abstraction in Australia 
is has not had the um, the coverage, if you like, or the perhaps the investigation that it requires. So on the whole, abstraction probably needs rethinking and re-examining. Um, and within that, the, the work, the contribution of women really definitely needs to be reconsidered because they were really the pioneers and they were the ones at the forefront. They were travelling, they were absorbing ideas from overseas and they were practising, often against all odds. I mean, Grace Crowley returned from Europe and her family really did not... Um, condone her her new way of painting at all and you know she really pretty much had a split with her family on 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 account of that and so i guess the sort of other tenant of the show is that it in fact was the women's work in this field that was leading the way it wasn't those major macho figures that we often associate with abstraction and that often there were very many um, women behind it and one example was margaret worth who's also in this exhibition she commented to me at the opening that she said oh i always credited my former husband sid ball who very sadly has just passed away several days ago um, I always credited him as being my main influence in my abstract work but she said when I came to this exhibition I looked at the work of Dora Chapman another South Australian artist and she said I remembered and realised that in fact Dora Chapman had a far more influential role to play in my practice than, than Sid had actually had and she said I'd actually sort of forgotten that myself so there just seems to be this institutional bias that we carry around with us that we quite often forget or, or misconceive the work the very important work that women are doing yeah absolutely and this this exhibition certainly contributes and tries to correct that that imbalance um, and unconscious bias that we have uh, within us thank you lara for joining us and um, sharing your expertise and congratulations to you and the nga um, for putting together such a fascinating and really important exhibition oh thank you very much amy and thank you elizabeth as well it's been great to be on this interview with you and lovely hearing everything you've had to say about your work Absolutely. And uh, thank you, Elizabeth, for, for joining us and being so generous with your time and really um, helping us to understand from the artist's perspective, um, you know, abstraction and, and how you operate. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was uh, Elizabeth Gower, a, an artist in Australia who practices um, a range of, of mediums, um, but uh, one of the styles that uh, you can see that she explores in this exhibition is abstraction in one of her paintings then and now, which is in the final room there um, at the Geelong Gallery. And you can uh, go check that out. Um, the, the exhibition is going to be on for a little while, so you've got some time. Uh, it started on the 20th of February and it moves um, all the way into the 7th of May so you've got until uh, the start of May to go check it out at Geelong Gallery and uh, then it's travelling to Newcastle Art Gallery Cairns Art Gallery, Tweed Regional Gallery and QUT Art Gallery so uh, it's making its way through New South Wales and Queensland later on um, but Geelong get it first and rightly so and if you want to um, head on to an event they have tomorrow uh, at for International Women's Day Lara Nichols will be there in conversation uh, with one of the artists Melinda Harper who's uh, represented in that exhibition as well as Kaz Patton from uh, the City of Greater Geelong and Lisa Sullivan who's the curator of the Geelong Gallery. So check that out. It starts at 5pm and you can purchase tickets on their website if you're interested. 
And you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense Podcast. I'm Amy Mullins, the host of this show on 3RRR. You can listen in every Tuesday in Melbourne at 9am till 12pm. And if you are elsewhere, you can listen online through the RRR website. Hope to see you again next time.